Well, it is a privilege and great joy to be with you this morning. I've already had the chance to preach one sermon this morning already, so I'm getting gearing up for the second time here. Um, and before I do that, I'm actually going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning and for the chance that we have now to uh, look into um, this text. Um, and I pray that you just um, use this text um, for us each individually to speak into our lives wherever that's uh, just needed and necessary at this point. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, again, as Barry has said, I'm Alex Deutscher. I'm uh, from Germany. Um, I'm 31 years old, and I have started to plant this church in East Berlin uh, one and a half years ago. And just to give you a little context about where we're at, um, so we're in Germany, and as you know, Germany 25 years ago has gone through this massive transition. The wall has come down. And so um, for the last 25 years, Germany has been through a very interesting process because for over 40 years, there's been actually two very separate and very different countries, basically, development, development, developing. You have on the one side former West Germany that has been, you know, shaped by the Allies and kind of, you know, still has those roots that Barry was talking about, the Reformation, and there's still, I would consider it a post-Christian context. You know, people have been to church before. They have kind of made up their mind about Christianity. They know what you talk about. And then you have East Germany um, that has been heavily shaped by communism um, and uh, oftentimes people have grown up atheistic, have never been to church before. It's not part of you know, what they consider to be relevant where they have any information about. So it's the post-Christian society and just an atheistic society. And when the wall came down, Germany as a whole now has to figure out what it looks like to be a unified country again. And me as a German, I can probably say that you know, as a whole we, we are unified on paper but it's going to take us a while to actually be unified for, for real um, as a country. Now, we're in East Berlin, and Berlin is a fascinating place if you have this bigger picture um, in mind, because Berlin is the same story, but just in a nutshell. In this one city, you had the same thing. You had a former west part, and you had an east part. And when the wall came down, now Berlin has to figure out what it looks like as a city to form a new culture. And if you're in Berlin, you know, you pretty much have to sense that what we're developing here is going to be influencing pretty much all of Germany. So I've been living in Berlin for five years now, and uh, what I've seen so far is pretty fascinating, actually, because what's happening is that the cultural bit comes from the west to the east. So we're all watching Hollywood movies now, and we're listening to Beyonce. <laughs> but the ideology part is actually coming from the east to the west. So the city is actually becoming more and more atheistic, and the little bits and traces of Christianity are actually leaving more and more. And so that's the context that we're working in, where we're planting this church. We are in former East Berlin, pretty much at the city center, what used to be the city center. And so this part still attracts all the people who grew up in the East, who like this kind of communistic, atheistic environment. And what that practically means is that people have no knowledge about church or Christianity. They're ignorant of the Bible, the gospel, the basic ideas. I always say, you know, Jesus and the Easter bunny, kind of the same thing to people. It's this myth that uh, no one believes in anymore. People don't go to church for Christmas and Easter. And for us, one of the ways we felt that is that we don't have a building like you have, so we, we have to uh, rent a venue every Sunday. And it's been really hard to find something that we can use permanently. We've been moving every Sunday from place to place for the first year because most venue owners just told us, well, this is an atheistic city. Why do you still want to do church here, not in my building? Certainly not. So this is our context, and the question that we have struggled with from the beginning is, well, 
in a context like this, how, do you still, how, do you, how, how are you going to be church? And how are you still going to be relevant in a place like this? And one of the texts that we have looked at and that's been really helpful for us and also very true, actually, is uh, the text that Barry has just read from John 1. And I thought this morning that I'd just share a little bit with you what we've learned from this text, what's been helpful to us. And maybe this is going to be helpful for you as well. Maybe not. I'm not American. I can't tell you. <laughs> but here is the three, basically the three points that we've taken out of this text and that have been helpful for us. First of all, this text has helped, has helped us to see the importance of friendships. Second of all, it's given us a model for self-understanding. And finally, it has pushed us towards a gospel-centeredness. First of all, the importance of friendship. I feel like this paragraph, if you look at it, it's actually a pretty interesting one because it tells you in a very condensed way story after story after story after story of how people have met Jesus. And one of the things that's actually striking if you look at, this, it, at it this way is that no one in this text, no one except Philip, comes to Jesus by themselves. All of them find Jesus through a friend. Or maybe to put it in a better way, they find Jesus through someone that they're close with. The first two um, find Jesus through John, who's their mentor. The next guy, Simon, finds Jesus through Andrew, who's his brother. And then finally, you have Nathaniel, who finds Jesus through a friend, Philip. When you read the paragraph in this way, basically you can't miss this. It's told this way to make a point. And the point is that people will not meet Jesus unless someone takes them to him. And not just anyone, not some random stranger on the street who tries to do some evangelism on them, but someone that they actually know, that they trust, that they know really well, that they have a meaningful relationship with. And that's been interesting to us to read this because that's exactly what we found in East Berlin in our first year. Because that literally, literally no one will come to our church unless they're brought by a very good friend. When you start a church plant like we do, you know, it's a little, it's a little bit like a business in that you're trying to get the word out, you know, you try to create awareness for this thing that you're doing. So we've done the usual things, you know, we've created a website, it's a nice website, and then we've gone on social media, we do that in Germany too, <laughs> and then, you know, we've had the Sunday night service and we put out this, this sign, you know, that says, here's going to be church, so come on in, you know, happy, smile, welcome. And um, what we found is that literally no one came. No one in our context will go on our website. I can show you the stats. <laughs> and no one Googles for church. Um, because in our context, the, people, the way people grew up is that even if they are searching spiritually, even if they go through a major crisis, a horrible breakup, the loss of a friend, they will not think, okay, well, Christianity might be something that I should look up. People just don't do that. It's not on people's radars. In other words exactly what this text is saying. No one in our context will find Jesus unless a really good friend introduces him to them. And I don't know how you feel about that. In the beginning when I realized that, you know, I had a typically missionary response in saying, oh my gosh, these lost Germans, you know, such hard soil here and such a dark place. But really, honestly, the more I thought about it, I'm actually kind of the same way. Because if people talk to me on the street about how I need to save the whales, I get really annoyed. 
And if I see these ads on Facebook that I really need to lose weight and I should do it with this, with this program called Hold30, you know, most of the time I simply don't care. But what I care about is what my friends share with me. I get excited about the things that my friends get excited about. So if this one friend tells me he's read this book and it's really helped him in his relationship, I'm going to read that book. And if a friend tells me, well, I've really lost some pounds and you should too, and this is the program I've used and it worked, I'm going to use it too. So the more I thought about it, the more I realized I'm exactly the same way. I'm only going to go with the things that people that I trust will recommend to me. It's basically the same idea. And so we realized that, but you know, that's actually a real challenge. Because I don't know about you, but honestly, about until a couple of years ago, I didn't have any non-Christian friends. And I don't know if you have some, I have some by now, it's really difficult. Because partly they have really different ideas of how this world goes together. They have a different you know, set of beliefs so we can easily start arguing. They also have a really different lifestyle that makes me uncomfortable if they tell me how many one-night stands they recently had. And honestly, my schedule up until a few years ago was filled with church stuff. I had a Tuesday night small group, Wednesday night prayer meeting, Saturday night helping with the youth group, and Sunday the service. You know, there's really not a lot of time to still hang out with non-Christians. So in a context like ours, and in a culture like ours, people are so different. They live such different lives that we as a Christians are so, you know, have a tendency to huddle, just be friends with each other, stay in our little safe circles. And this text is challenging us to say that our friends, the people around us, will never meet Jesus unless they're friends with us. And it's fascinating for us to see that we as a church have actually grown. We have started with 25 people as a core group, a kind of a launch team, one and a half years ago. We now have about 40 to 50 people that come every Sunday. So people are getting to know Jesus. But you can trace every single one of these new people, you can trace them back to a friend from the launch team. And we actually have a couple of people who've made all the way, the word, the, the way from complete and total atheism, never been to church before, didn't know who Jesus was, to coming on a weekly basis and believing in Jesus. But they all had a very good friend that was walking with them all the way. So this is the first challenge that this text has put in front of us, that we need to be and become friends with non-Christians, and not even to try to drag them at church right away, but just to be friends with them, to get deep with them, have meaningful relationships with them. But then there's the second point in this text that has really um, grabbed our attention, because I feel like this text um, gives us a different, a different attitude, a different self-understanding for us as Christians in this context that we're in. It gives us a model for self-understanding. Because what's been really helpful to me is the example of Philip. I don't know whether you caught this when we read it just now, but I feel like what Philip experiences here is pretty much the complete nightmare situation that we all, you know, wonder about and that actually avoid, that, that, that helps us, that makes us avoid all the non-Christians and becoming friends with them because this is the situation that we want to avoid. Because what happens here is that Nathaniel asks Philip a really good question. <laughs> Don't know whether you caught that, but basically what Nathaniel is saying, he's saying, well, Philip, you know that the Messiah is supposed to be from Bethlehem, and you know that this guy is from Nazareth. So how could this possibly be the Messiah? That makes no sense to me. That's a really good question. 
And I found it fascinating to see how Philip responds. Because Philip doesn't say, all right, well, you just have to come to my Bible study and we're going to explain it all to you. It's all going to make sense to you. So, you know, I'm just going to start explaining to you how this actually works. And then he also doesn't say, well, well, what's your solution then? Well, yours doesn't, you, who do you think the Messiah is? Your solution doesn't make sense either. So he doesn't fight back. Basically, what Philip says is, I don't know. I don't know. It's a really good question, but I'm positive there's going to be an answer. So let's go and let's find it out together. Philip shows a, a self-understanding, an attitude that we have, have actually found key in reaching our culture, and it's the attitude of, I haven't it all figured out. I'm not the guy with all the answers. In some ways, I'm just as clueless as you are. In other way, he, he identifies himself with Nathaniel. He puts himself on the same side. He says, you have questions, I have questions. You have doubts, I have doubts. But let's go and let's find it out together. And honestly, that is quite different than what we probably most of the time do. I don't know about you, but I felt that we, in, as Christians in Germany, we don't identify at all with the people around us. We do quite the opposite. And one way you can see that is in the language we use. We talk about us and them. We talk about us, the good Christians who understand the truth. You know, we got it. We figured it out. We're so glad we're saved. And then there's them. There's those lost sinners. <laughs> there's the world. They're so broken. They need Jesus. Oftentimes we don't identify at all. I, actually, we do the opposite. We create this huge gap between us and them to, so that we can show who's right and who's wrong. And even if we, t if we turn towards them, we do it with this mindset of we need to reach the world. We need to help them, those lost sinners. You know, we need to give them the truth. And the way that comes across is that we kind of bend down to them. Us, the saved, you, the unsaved, we bend down to help you. And so we call them if they don't respond, which is called in the hard soil. But the reality is that we found is that people actually see us much clearer than we see ourselves sometimes. And they often see right through that thing. Because the truth is, it's not just them who have doubts, have fears, have struggles. It's not just them who have broken relationships and who struggle in their marriages. It's not just them who misuse money, power, and sex. It's us, too. We do that, too. And so the only way that people will ever respond to the gospel, at least in our context, is the way that Philip is modeling, in that we're saying, we haven't it all figured out, we're not here to save you, but we have found something great. And I don't completely get it all, I don't have all the answers, but let's figure it out together. Martin Luther, one of my great heroes, of course, he's German, um, has this fantastic quote that kind of sums this up in a very neat way. He once said, we are all just beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. I think that's exactly what it is. We meet on an eye level. My non-Christian friends and I, we meet on an eye, we meet on an eye level. I'm a singer, sinner like you. I don't have it figured out like you. I have major questions and struggles like you, but that's okay. Because what's great about the gospel is not that I finally have my life together and everything is neat over here, but that I found a God who loves me through it all, 
who loves me even though I might have just been through a divorce and all my friends are looking down on me. A God who has encouraged me to follow him even though I still struggle with doubts ten years down the road. And every time I get that and I get his love, it's so exciting. I've found bread. And then, yes, it does help me in my struggles with singleness, even though I'm 39, and with making my job not more than it is and letting all, you know, let it consume all my life. Yes, whenever I catch that, it really makes a difference. But I still need that every day. I need it just as much as you do. I'm like a beggar who can show you as another beggar where to find bread. One of the texts that we have found really helpful as a team is the text in uh, John 4. I don't know whether you're familiar with this. It's Jesus meeting the woman at the well. And they start having this really interesting conversation with each other. They talk about water, and then Jesus talks about living water that would you know, forever still her need uh, for water. And so she finally says, well, I, need, I want this water. I want this living water that you have. And then Jesus answers with, go and get your husband. <laughs> And when you initially read that, you feel like, okay, why is he changing the conversation here? They've just talked about living water, and now he talks about her husband. But the the longer you look at it, it's actually like he's not changing the conversation. He's just showing her this here, your husband, the five husbands that you've had so far, this is where you've tried to find living water. This is where you've tried to find satisfaction so far in your life. He's actually pointing her towards the point where she's trying to find satisfaction and couldn't find it. So we've been looking at this text um, as a launch team, and it was fascinating. You know, this helps us. How do we talk about sin? How do we talk about what Jesus wants to do for us? But then eventually, we asked ourselves the question, well, where do we place ourselves in this story? Who are we in this story? And what we realized was that oftentimes we are really tempted to just identify with Jesus. If you're living in East Berlin, everyone around you is sleeping with all sorts of people. They're trying all sorts of things to, you know, get satisfaction. And so, yeah, we feel like Jesus. We're the good guys trying to help the other people and give them living water. But we realize we're not Jesus. (laughs) We're just as much this woman at the well. We are still tempted to find our satisfaction in other things than Jesus. We're still tempted to do all sorts of crazy things. But yet the only difference is that we have found this living water, that we have had a taste of this living water. And so we can go around around and tell people, well, there's something that I need just as much as you do. So that's the second thing we've learned. As long as we say we're perfect and we're here to save people, no one will listen. But once we become real and we get on their side and admit that we also have the same doubts, the same struggles, people will open up and they will come on this journey with us. And as long as we as a church are a place, you know, where we come together and tell each other how amazing the Lord has worked out everything in my life, and it's just great, no one will come. But once we become this community of broken people that just share with each other where to find bread, we actually can have an impact. One last and really brief thing. (laughs) This text... Um, has reminded us to keep the gospel at the center. That's uh, the last kind of thing that really struck me when I read this text, is that it's interesting that all these people seem to have an easiness. They seem to have a confidence about, you know, when they bring people to Jesus. It's interesting that they're not, you know, trying to convince people, but they basically just say the same um, sentence over and over again. They say, come and see. 
So Philip gets this, task, this, this tough question, and he says, well, I don't know, but come and see. And Andrew says to his brother, well, you know, you should come and see this. And even Jesus, you know, he has this relaxedness about him. There are these disciples, and they want to figure out, well, are you the Messiah or not? And Jesus' response is not, well, yeah, I'm the Messiah, believe in me. But his response is, well, come and see. You know, figure it out for yourselves. And that's intriguing. Because all these guys in this text seem to have a confidence that if their friends indeed meet Jesus, if they indeed get the gospel, then that will be convincing. And that observation has been helpful to us on various levels. First, our church doesn't need to be all about the excellent music, you know, the care for the poor, the faith and the arts. Those are all good things, and we do all of them. But what's going to be really intriguing to people and what's going to make them come, stay, and actually believe in Jesus is not all these great programs. It is Jesus. <laughs> that's the only thing that's really attractive about our faith. And then the second thing we've taken out of this is that what that practically means is that for us as Christians, the key task is to have Jesus at the center, even for us. I don't know about you, but even me as a pastor, I get caught up so quickly in theology in ethics, in my feelings, in church politics, in philosophical ideas. In the end, this text is a great reminder that what makes us enjoy our Christian life, what's at the core of everything, is none of these things, but it's Jesus. And so, we are really excited to be partnering with you and to know that you are praying for us exactly in this way. And I want to encourage you, if you... If you're in East Berlin, no one around you is praying, ever. <laughs> and so it's just amazing and really helpful to know that there's friends over here, partners, who are praying for us, praying for us in this way, praying that we can continue to become friends with non-Christians, get over those initial, ah, what is this going to do, and actually become friends with people. That we can do so in a way where we're not trying to bend down to people and save them, but we can just be friends as one beggar showing the other beggar where to find bread and that we can keep Jesus at the center. Thank you so much. Amen.